0: Hello, friends. I'm so glad you are joining me again today, and I'm so happy to be back to recording on the podcast. It's been a few weeks since I had to record ahead when I was away in Kenya, but I am sitting here. It is just a gorgeous spring day. Don't you love it when you go outside and you can like feel spring coming? I guess I shouldn't really call it a spring day. Spring is coming, and it's one of those days where you just feel like, Spring is coming. The sun is out. It's awesome. So I am enjoying it. I hope you are enjoying a beautiful spring day too. And so I'm going to be continuing actually finishing. This is the last episode about biblical expectations in marriage. I'm going to finish the introduction from the book I've been reading. Uh, I hope you've been enjoying that. And I was just thinking about, you know, doing these last several episodes on marriage. And, oh my goodness, so many things to talk about in being married, in marriage, what God has to say about marriage, all of these things. And it just got me thinking, because, you know, I will have been married in May, Wes and I will have been married for 33 years, which is pretty long time when you think about it. It's like, whoa, 33 years. So I was thinking back over that. And, you know, I just want to say, since I've been spending a lot of time on marriage, that I understand that marriage can be hard. I mean, it, every single marriage has times that are difficult, times that are, it's a struggle. And I was thinking back over our marriage and when that would be true. Because right now, honestly, it's awesome. I, it's like we're in a great place. But I have can definitely think back on times when that was not true, when we were struggling. Of course, I have a story for you about it. I remember on our 11th anniversary, so when we had been married 11 years, we were driving home from, we went out to dinner for our anniversary and we're driving home. I can remember being on the road towards Phoenixville and uh, where we lived. And I said to Wes, what do you think has been the hardest year of our marriage? You know, looking back over our many years when we've been married 11 years and he said, oh, and he said in like oblivious man speak, sorry, men, but this happens with men, totally oblivious. He was like, oh, I don't know. It, every year has been great. You know, and I was like, oh, I say nothing. Several minutes go by. Like We're driving along. I'm saying nothing. And he finally, he says, what do you think? What do you think has been the hard? I waited till he said it what do you think has been the hardest year of our marriage? And I said, this one, this one that we just finished. This has been the hardest year. (laughs) And Wes just goes, oh. And then that was the end of the conversation. So we just moved on. He was like, he he wasn't going to explore that topic. That's the kind of place we were in at that time. But you know what? We just, we had to persevere and I had to pray. We had to pray a lot. And I don't even remember like why I was thinking that was the worst year. I don't remember what we were arguing about or what I was upset about. Don't remember any of it. But I do remember that it was hard and that I was struggling. You know, I don't need to remember what it was about. But I just wanted to to point that out, that I do know it can be difficult. And that if you are in a difficult place in your marriage, to hang in there, to keep praying, to keep trusting God and praying about it because it will get better. That's what God is all about. That's what walking with Jesus is all about, is things aren't going to stay the same. Things are always going to be changing. And that should fill us with hope. And on the same note, as I was thinking back on that story of when I said this was the worst year of our marriage, um, I also was thinking about how today I was, I've, I've started doing this, new thing, sort of new thing, where I'm listening to scripture um, as often as I can in the car. So not necessarily like a devotional listening, but just instead of putting music on, sometimes I just put my Bible app on and listen to scripture. So I was doing that today, listening along, and you know, just like when you're listening to music, I might not be like tuning in the whole time, but I tuned in at this one part. Today I was listening to the Gospel of John. It's was like, I just want to hear some things Jesus said, some some of his actual words. So I had the Gospel of John on and I got to um, chapter six and I tuned back in to what was being said in the scene where Jesus walks on water. So, you know, the disciples are in the boat and they're struggling in the storm and Jesus shows up, right? Here's the part that I tuned in and was like, hold on, wait a second, wait just a second. Did I just hear that right? It says this, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing, right? The disciples are in the boat. Then listen, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. Three or four miles? Do you know what it's like to row several hundred yards? Like this was not driving in a car. Oh, three or four miles down the road, like you'll be there in a minute. Now, I don't know if you've ever rowed a boat but I have and rowing a few hundred yards is like an effort. I cannot imagine. I seriously cannot imagine rowing three or four miles in a rough sea with a What did it say? A strong wind. Like that's a lot. That would have taken a really, really long time. I remember this one time Wes and I were in Minnesota. Um, back, I was actually pregnant with Wesley at the time. We were visiting his sister, Laurel, and her family. This was a really long time ago. And we went out in this big lake and they had a little rowboat with a motor. And we zoomed out with the motor to the middle of the lake and then the motor died. And we had to row, well, Wes had to row all the way back. And it took us like an hour to row back. And that was maybe half a mile from the shore. And it wasn't even in a rough sea. Like, it's a lot. So my point is, sometimes you are rowing and rowing and rowing and struggling through some circumstance in life. And it feels like a really, really long time before Jesus shows up. You ever feel that way? Whether it's in your marriage or in something else. Sometimes Jesus has us row a long time struggle a long time in the same circumstance and we might feel like we're not getting anywhere but it's all part of what he's teaching us that might sound kind of discouraging but hopefully it's encouraging i mean think about it if jesus had showed up the minute they started struggling against the the strong wind right they would have rowed less and they would have exercised their muscles less Maybe, just maybe, God has a struggle longer in a circumstance because he wants us to exercise and strengthen those muscles of faith or spiritual disciplines like prayer or even fasting or having that need to be in his word more often because the struggle is so strong. The wind against us is strong. I don't know, but he has a purpose. He has a purpose and shows up never late but always on time so on that note let's look at the last four biblical expectations in marriage this is the pause and ponder podcast with me Susie. thanks for joining me i hope that today's episode will just be a wonderful reminder that all of god's ways are good isn't that a good thing to be reminded of? I hope that as we look at the biblical expectations in marriage, we'll be, we'll be reminded that God's design, God's ways are always good. Okay, so as a reminder, I this is my third episode on going over the biblical expectations for marriage that are found in the introduction to a very interesting book called A Celebration of Sex by Dr. Douglas E. Rosenau, R-O-S-E-N-A-U. So kind of bizarre, I guess, for me to be reading from this, but it's truly awesome. And uh, this introduction is saying basically, because obviously the whole book is about your sex life in marriage, um, but the introduction is saying, you will have a great sex life when you have a great marriage. So let's start with how do you have a great marriage? And it goes through these 10 biblical expectations of marriage, which are great to go over because, you know, we're all human. So our expectations in marriage might have been set by humans who didn't get it exactly right, like our own parents, um, you know, we're, nobody gets it perfectly right. So why not look at what is perfect, which is God's way. And um, whether you are thinking about getting married or you are married, you've been married a long time or a short time, I think it's beneficial for everyone to look at these 10 expectations, biblical, actually it's biblical principles that give us godly expectations. Biblical principles that give us godly expectations in marriage. It's just good to reevaluate so anyway this is my third time doing this so i'm not going to reiterate all of the things from before but wanted to give credit to that book and we're going to cover the last four so i'm going to try to move a little faster because i know i tend to get you know chatty about it but anyway all right here we go so you can listen to the first two episodes before this to get numbers one through six now we're on number seven seven out of ten in the biblical principles So number seven, my mate will be faithful and committed to me. You might've thought that would be number one, right? Uh, But here it is. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery Exodus 20 verse 14. That's what this is talking about. And before I read it, I will just add, you know, it took me by surprise. I remember standing at our rehearsal, uh, our wedding rehearsal. I was going to say rehearsal dinner, but it was for the dinner, the actual wedding rehearsal. And hearing the priest um, tell us what to say in our vows and just all of the stuff that they say. And I was like, oh my goodness, why do you keep saying this? They, they kept saying over and over, forsaking all others for as long as you both shall live. And I was like, what do you think I'm going to do? Like <laughs> being kind of like shocked that so much of our wedding vows and wedding ceremony was about forsaking all others. But I guess it makes sense. I mean, certainly this is a biblical principle, right? All right. Anyway, here's what the guy says about it. A great marital partnership has room for only two people in it. Commitment is vital to intimate companionship and the creation of good boundaries is irreplaceable for a fantastic marriage and sex life. Feeling safe and trusting are critical for being, quote, naked and unashamed, like Adam and Eve, right? And these qualities are built on commitment. So again, this is me again, he's coming back to this idea of you will have a great sex life when your marriage is a place that you feel safe, that you feel you can be yourself, that you're not uh, nervous, insecure, it's safe right and certainly knowing that this person is committed to you and you only and you don't have to worry about them betraying you in that way in in an affair is essential right it's essential to that creating a safe place so yeah anyway he goes on adulterate means, quote, to contaminate by adding a foreign substance or watering down a product. You can adulterate your marital companionship in many ways. Here's an interesting thought, because we think of adultery as one thing, having an affair, right? But he says, you can adulterate your marital companionship in many ways other than by having a sexual affair. You can adulterate your marriage by over committing to work, children, or church. It is a valid desire And decision that mates avoid adulterating their marriage. Wow, he just took it up a notch, didn't he? It's not simply, okay, I won't have an affair with someone. It's keeping marriage first and the commitment to marriage first in a lot of different ways. He goes on God's injunction of, quote, you shall not commit adultery, unquote, is often portrayed in terms of a protective fence that guards the beautiful marital and sexual garden. So often we look at fences as something to jump so we can get to greener grass. Actually, the quote, no adultery fence is there so you can have the intimacy to create an unbelievable relationship within that enclosure, a deeper level of emotional and sexual connecting that can occur and flourish only in an intimate marriage. This barrier protects you from contaminating elements that could threaten the quality of your companionship how interesting don't you love that i maybe you've heard that before i don't know that i had that the the commitment and the rule let's say the rule to not commit adultery is like a fence but not a fence to keep you in a jail not a fence to keep you in but to keep other things out that's so cool the the mandate from god that sex is to be within marriage and only within marriage, whether you're married or not, this would occur, is to create this place, this garden that has a fence around it. And it keeps all of the negative things outside of that beautiful little, just imagine a fence around grass and that, and that little garden, that little park is kept so sweet and pure. And such a wonderful place because the bad stuff is being kept out. What a beautiful way to look at um, fidelity in marriage. All right, he goes on. Faithfulness and commitment are interesting concepts. They are processes that create an exclusive partnership with your mate. Some of the choices in mating are highly visible and are special and easily remembered symbols of commitment. The wedding vows are one, similar to the pillar Jacob erected in Bethel to serve as a reminder of God's promise and blessing in Genesis 28. Other obvious choices of symbols of your commitment are children, a home, a mortgage, and a retirement plan. So he's saying these are things that demonstrate we are committed to each other. This is for life, right? Probably more important, but less obvious, are commitments to your mate that come in a series of daily choices. Every day when you say to yourself, quote, I have my mate, and refuse to entertain thoughts about someone else, you are reaffirming your commitment. You are allowing sex to be rational and setting good boundaries as you choose to control your sexual impulses and preserve sexual integrity. These little commitment choices to preserve and deepen intimacy pop up in all areas of marriage. What is he talking about? Here are some examples he gives. It could mean calling off a lunch with a colleague, deciding whether to have that third child. Well, that's kind of a big decision. Going to a bed and breakfast for a weekend renewal, leaving work early, or buying that funny card and leaving it in the car for your spouse. Okay, (laughs) it's kind of funny that he, I just have to comment that he gave those examples, because I think those examples are wildly different. Deciding whether you're going to have a third child and leaving a funny card in the car aren't really in the same category, but I guess his point is, you know, your commitment to keep your marriage first, to not um, adulterate it in the sense of water it down, water down the commitment. It comes in all of these little decisions that we make each day, you know, to put your spouse first. Oh, there were more examples. He goes on, it can be going to that marriage seminar, reading a book on sexual technique, apologizing for that unkind remark, or working harder to correct a personal character deficit. These choices are not always huge and obvious, but they create the glue that keeps a marriage and sexual relationship together. Daily, you have to choose not to adulterate or water down your companionship. Think about that for a second. What would water down your companionship, your friendship? Letting other things take up your time, your attention, your affection, um, even hobbies, right? Can water down your friendship with your mate. That's me saying that. All right. He goes on daily, you take those little steps that create the fences, protecting your garden of fantastic intimacy and sexual pleasure. This is a reasonable expectation for a healthy marital relationship. How interesting that is. That's the end of number seven. My mate will be faithful and committed to me. So it is a reasonable expectation to expect your mate to put you first. To expect them to say no to other things so that they can say yes to you in, you know, in your friendship, in your companionship, in your commitment to each other. I think that's pretty cool that that applies to it. And I think it's really interesting to look at this, uh, you know, you shall not commit adultery as no less than having an affair. Certainly it means do not have any sexual relations outside of your marriage, or even as Jesus said, don't even think about it, right? If you think it in your, in your heart, you've committed it. Um, but also to think of adulterating your marriage, watering down your commitment, um, or your, your friendship as that being part of it, that's kind of a challenge. All right, moving on. Number eight, Here's an interesting one that we certainly did not adhere to early on in our marriage, but is that that was our fault. It's still a good idea. Number eight, either of us will be able to initiate marriage counseling and the other will be willing to go. Our marriage will be constantly growing with individual and relational changes and improvements. Now, I would say we were constantly growing, but, you know, Wes and I are old school that uh, he at least he definitely was never willing to go to a counselor back back in that year eleven when I said everything was too awful. But you know times have changed, and uh, hopefully this isn't as much of a stigma as it used to be. That's a good thing, right? Because this is a this is a a good idea that if one person is you know concerned enough to say hey we need to get help with this that the other would be willing to go. Good thing to talk about in your relationship before. You actually need to do it. And I can't blame that all on Wes. We're both from an era where there was, you know, you didn't you didn't do that. And I used to actually joke with him that we needed to go to the, a counselor, but it was the wonderful counselor. We need Jesus. We needed to sit and pray together when we had a problem. So that was the only counselor we were willing to go to. I don't know what he would say now, but anyway, not the point. The point is... This number eight biblical principle is if one person wants to go to a marriage counselor, the other will be willing to go. And where do they get that from? Here are some scriptures. This is Proverbs 15, 14. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. And Proverbs 16:20: He who heeds the word wisely will find good. Those don't actually sound too much like they're saying you should go to counseling, but this one does. Proverbs 27, 9. The sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. So it is good to get counsel. Oh, and here's one more. Philippians 1, 9 through 10. And Paul talking, of course. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. And Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. And just in case you're wondering, because we're already a long way into this podcast episode, these last ones are pretty short. All right, so getting counseling. Here's what he says. In a humble, loving, marital partnership, you want your mate to be happy and fulfilled. Wise counsel can be so critical. If an impasse occurs, either mate will be able and encouraged to initiate counseling with the appropriate wise person. We don't marry someone to change him or her, but it is a reasonable expectation that we will continue to grow up together as we rub off our rough edges and overcome our skill and character deficits. A great marriage and sex life is constantly growing and deepening wise counsel is a fantastic source of marital enrichment it may be a marriage counselor to learn better communication skills or a financial advisor to help set up an effective budget it may be your pastor to deal with confession and forgiveness or even a sex therapist to work on sexual problems all options right let's keep just keep going because Enough said. Number nine, we will have regular, satisfying sexual interaction. So here is number nine, biblical principle for godly expectations, to have regular, satisfying sexual interaction, and the scripture is 1 Corinthians 7, 3-5, through the husband shall fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other. He says, a reasonable expectation in a good marriage is frequent and mutually fulfilling sexual activity. Each partner can expect help from the other to experience personal sexual satisfaction. It is realistic to desire and work toward intimacy enhancing sexual companionship that grows over the years sexual communication that is much more than just intercourse or orgasm. It will require an investment by both mates to ensure time, provide variety, and avoid routine. Let me say that one again, that that had a good list. It will require an investment by both mates to ensure time, so that's maybe something that's more practical. You've got to talk about your schedule, If both of you are too tired, how can you change that? How can you create time? It's a more practical thing. And number two and three can kind of go together. Provide variety and avoid routine. Okay, so that, I think, requires some communication, which is something I've talked about already, right? You have to talk about it. It shocks me how many couples do not talk about their sex life just to each other. You don't have to tell other people. In fact, I wouldn't tell other people, but talk about it. Also, a great way to provide variety and avoid routine is to read a book together. Get a Christian book on sex and have one of you read it out loud to the other one. Because I just read a few sentences ago. Always growing and deepening. Like, don't get stuck in a rut. Don't use the excuse that you have little kids or you have busy jobs or whatever. Or just be like, ah, we're fine. No, this is an important area um, of your of your married life. And guess what? It's something God cares about. So, um, you might want to read this book, A Celebration of Sex. It's a really big book, I'll just warn you. But you could get it. Uh, another one, I will just mention an oldie, but a goodie (laughs) This is kind of a funny one. So there's this book called the total woman. If you, if you're my age, you may have heard of it. If you're younger, you probably are like, what are you talking about? It's a super old book. I think it's from the sixties. Okay. But you know what? Even though there's going to be some things in it that it's like, what would you call it? Like, you know, from that era that don't really translate as well now, Biblical principles are biblical principles. And uh, whatever whoever the woman is that wrote that one, I forget her name. I think it's Joyce somebody. But she was writing to women who, you know, were growing up a sort of prim and proper background that you didn't talk about sex. And it's just a great book that has lots of ideas in it. You don't have to do them all. But really, um, really explained well how important this area of your marriage is and that it is worth investing in. Like I said a few episodes ago, how to invest in your sex life, that, that book is, that could be the subtitle of that book. Um, so, enough said. As well as, of course, lots of other books out there I'm sure you already know about. So, like I was reading, um, ensure time, provide variety and avoid routine. So then it goes on. It may also require some counseling to break through any, any difficulty an inability of the wife to experience orgasm an inability of the husband to achieve an erection, a wife's or husband's lack of desire or other problems. Don't put it off. These problems usually won't go away, but will get worse. If you are not enjoying regular satisfying sexual interaction, get help. And I would say amen to that. Now, notice it did not say how often. It, it, it didn't set any legalistic rule. It just said what you would both consider regular, satisfying sexual interaction. And I just want to pause there and say with as much compassion as possible that I realize a lot of people have struggles in their sex life. Uh, that it's not what you want it to be. And maybe you've had a lot of disappointment. Maybe you have a lot of baggage. I I don't know. There's all kinds of things going on. And I certainly want to express compassion for that and not be like, you know, I'm not in any way saying, I am not in any way saying that this is easy or like, and I realize, you know, this can be a big deal and to deal with these things, to work on this area of your life. It's very sensitive. It's you you might be like, I don't want to deal with that. I I don't want to go there. And I don't know what that's like, but I do want to say, this is, this is your, your little reminder, little whisper in your ear, maybe that it's worth it. It's really worth it to work on this area of your life, of your married life, of your life as you as a person, that if you are a believer in Christ, you have a God that is all about restoration and healing and wholeness. So I hope that just bringing up this topic will restore hope, right? And give you the motivation, as this author said, to get help, to recognize if you have a problem, and to get help. And maybe you have a smaller problem. Maybe you're like, look, I don't I don't need to go to someone. That's like a little extreme. That's how I would feel. But, but maybe it's just time to reevaluate and um, draw closer to your husband or wife in in marriage and have a time to reevaluate and say, hey, how are we doing? All right, the last one. Are you ready? I'm sure you're ready. Number 10, we will enjoy a growing spiritual life together with prayer and Bible study. What a great way to end. Maybe you should have been number one. But It's a great number 10 because we need these other things you need to be soulmates best friends helping each other uh was the number one and then on and on all of these things to round out biblical principles for godly expectations in marriage okay the bible verses if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask of god who gives to all liberally without reproach james 1 5 and husbands love your wives just as christ loved the church cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, through the word, Ephesians 5, 25, 26. And finally, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dot, dot, dot. Continue earnestly in prayer, Colossians three sixteen and 4, 2. I'll start with what he says. Bible study and prayer enhance intimacy and allow you to become more Christ-like. God is the author of intimacy And keeping centered in him is the beginning of wisdom and an intimate marriage. If you are humble and open, he will shine his truth, wisdom, and love into your life and relationships. One husband was excited about a discovery he had made. Christians have the ability to be the best lovers in the world. He had read Galatians 5, 22-23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What a list of traits as a foundation for a great marriage and sex life. If you are filled with God's spirit and living out these virtues, you will never be excelled as a marital partner or sexual lover. May God bless your lovemaking as you apply his principles for a great marriage and meet each other's realistic expectations within your partnership. End of introduction. The next part is using this book, which I will not read. But what a great principle to end on, having prayer and Bible study together as a couple. One of the first things Wes says to any couple we talk to is, are you praying together? But sadly, this is not happening in a lot of marriages. And even for us, for many years, it was something we didn't do. In those first 11 years, we rarely prayed together. And it's certainly something we strive to do more and more. And I guess I will just add to that, that I think because every couple is unique, what that looks like in each marriage is unique too. So don't go looking at how someone else does it or how maybe you think they even, um, you know, have this amazing prayer life and Bible study or whatever, because you have to do what's right in your marriage and what how God has designed the two of you. So it might mean praying together before you go to sleep. It might mean praying together, um, you know, when you first wake up. It might mean just chatting about what you're reading in the Bible. It might mean reading the Bible out loud together. It could, there's so many ways to do it. You just got to pray about it and try not to get frustrated if you want more of that in your marriage than you're than you are experiencing right now. And if you are frustrated, you know, pray about it. Ask God to put that desire in the heart of your spouse and to give you ideas of how you can come together in that way with prayer, Bible study, sharing um, your spiritual growth with each other. And I think it's also a good caution in this area is to be careful especially as women who often women are in a women's bible study be careful you don't adulterate your marriage by being more intimate spiritually with other people than you are with your own husband even if your husband isn't a christian or if you you think he's not as spiritually mature as you don't go don't go down that spiritual pride road be careful but remember that even spiritually You want your companionship and your friendship with your husband to come first and no one in your life, no one in your world should be closer to you than that spouse. They don't have to be the only person. It's not like they're the only one you can share with, but keep them close. Share how you're doing spiritually with your spouse. So that's it. 10 principles for marriage. If you're married, I hope that it encourages you and even inspires you to maybe talk to your husband about, or your wife, I, I don't know how many men listen to this, I don't think any do, but um, about these things. If you're dating, it would be great to go over these things with your boyfriend or girlfriend and, and talk about, hey, what, what do you agree with that? Is that what you think marriage should be? Or even if you're not dating, to just think about, because we all have ideas about what marriage is like, What we anticipate it to be, and I think it's always a good thing to consider. How did God design this part of life, right? And a lot of those things were things that we need to work on, whether we're married or not. As far as like financial goals, like um, times of rest and times of work, conflict resolution, all kinds of things that are God's design for healthy relationships for anyone. But I hope you enjoyed listening through those expectations. And um, certainly there's tons more to say about marriage. uh, But for now, I think I will let that be enough said for now. And next week, I'm going to go back to my sort of more normal um, style. And I'll actually be revisiting some of the things that we taught about in Kenya and that God just put on my heart when we were in Kenya. We went through the book of 1 Thessalonians and I want to share with you about that. Thanks for listening and I hope that going over these biblical principles and godly expectations in marriage have reminded you of what a blessing marriage is. And whether you're married or not, I hope that God will be opening your eyes to how the many ways he has blessed you. Till next time.